The following audio was recorded July the 1st, 2019. I had been in a really dark place for about two weeks, but little did I know the next three months would be the absolute worst months of my life. All right, guys, want to give you a little update on where I have been mentally since March of 2019, been on somewhat of a journey getting off my medication, thought it was the right thing to do, and we'll, we'll let you know how I feel about that over time, but first want to want to start by saying I was shocked as to how easy it was initially, so shocked to the point where I have a a pharmaceutical friend that I called and I wanted to double check, man, I, the medicine's out of my system, right? Like how can, how can it be so easy? And sure enough, I'd been off of them long enough to where they were indeed out of my system. And I just felt like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is, this is awesome. The reason why I was so surprised is the last time that I had been off my medicine, my medicine, it was extremely difficult. I realized early on, my gosh, I've I've got to have medicine. You know, here I am checking something on my phone, you know, a dozen times to to make sure that I'm seeing something correctly. To constantly things in my head swirling around, just wouldn't stop, never ending to do list, that sort of thing. But this time was a little bit different, and my thought process was, well, I've been really working hard the last couple of years learning myself, identifying negative and harmful thoughts I've been carrying, doing the hard work of not letting it take its toll. So, you know, I was a little more prepared, kind of geared up, you know what I'm saying? So it just seemed so easy, and I, I thought... I started to think, man, there's not going to be a big fight here. Like, there's not not a battle. This is unbelievable. And I was wrong. You're still getting used to sort of not having Joey. Like, you guys have been friends for a long time, and so how he acts and how he whatever, and he's not there. Y'all were literally trying to convince someone who was on a different planet that things are not as bad as I'm saying they are. And it, everything you said meant nothing. He looks like he had cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You exactly, that's exactly it. Like you so looked like somebody that may have been lost to you either. Like you thought it looked sickly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it looked very like ill. I mean, and I saw you in the shape you were in, and you weren't getting any relief. So and it, no matter what we tried, no matter what the doctors tried, it just seemed like we weren't making any headway. Like, currently, right now, I feel emotionally exhausted. <laughs> just, it feels like I don't, I don't want to cry a whole bunch. <laughs> clearly have family history, multi-generational. That's a red flag. You you have personal, lifelong history. That's a red flag. I mean, initially I was just so excited to share, to not sound cheesy, but to share the victory, to share that it can be overcome, to share that you can be in the deepest, darkest, scariest place and and come out okay. 
see this notebook. What is that? It is the notebook that they gave me in the hospital, I guess, to write stuff down at my leisure. There's no way of killing anyone with this notebook or killing myself with the notebook, so it was safe. It's a safe notebook. I guess you could, I, I could do paper cuts all over me, but pretty sure I'm not going to be able to do something with my, you know, to myself. It is funny, though, that on the cover of the notebook, so my good friend Ryan Amick came and visited me in the hospital, and I obviously I wasn't allowed to have my cell phone in the hospital, so I didn't know his number because we don't know numbers anymore. We just tap a name and call. And so he wrote his name and his number, but then in classic Ryan fashion, he put under that for a good time. <laughs> and so I actually had for a, a good time call Ryan. Right. So I actually had a nurse come up to me and look at me very serious and say, I really would not give your number out to people in this hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so I immediately was just like, no, 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 no. That's, that's my friend, Ryan. He came and visited me and she kind of still looked at me like, what kind of friend is that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I now have for a good time crossed out really well. So that didn't happen again in the hospital. <laughs> but, um, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at that notebook and it, it really does surface a lot of emotions. It kind of, kind of invites me into a processing that takes me to a place that I may or may not be able to handle thinking about at any given time. But I would say for the most part, I feel like it's a healthy thing to think on it but there's sometimes when I start thinking I'm like yeah I'm not gonna do that right now and at the drop of a hat I can be moved to tears here we are like a year later and looking at dates looking at things that I've written down yeah I feel like you and I I mean it was such a relief when you finally had relief and I felt you, for a lack of better words, coming too. I'm like, oh my gosh, Joey's coming back. Like the light in your eyes, like you started listening to music again, like all the things coming back. And I mean, initially I was just so excited to share, to not sound cheesy, but to share the victory, to share that it can be overcome, to share that you can be in the deepest, darkest, scariest place and, and come out okay, you know, and, and give other people that are, that have suffered so badly or feel like they're suffering like that right now to, to show them it's, it doesn't last forever. You can make it through. And so I thought we would probably do that. Gosh, after the holidays. And then <laughs> after the holidays, I was like, you know, like in the spring. And then, I mean, I don't even remember when we attempted our first time talking about this. It was with Ryan and it was after, you know, I, I picked up a job at my kid's school during this hard time. It was sort of like a saving grace, actually, because it gave me a good routine and it was an easy job and super friendly people and kids schedule. Um, but, you know, it's like long days and then I still do real estate. And so and then I still try to be a good mom at night and be present. So we podcasted really late at night. 
And I was already tired and I just, I felt blindsided by my own inability to talk about it without getting overcome by emotion, almost like started feeling a little bit of anxiety, which I've never felt anxiety my whole life until this last year, like the physical presence of it. Sorry about that. And um, I'm not trying to blame you for my anxiety. I'm just saying it was traumatic. I just felt like it was way more triggering than I gave it credit for and realized I don't think I'm ready. And it was more important for you and I to process and focus on our health before we try and just share with whoever would listen about our story. Like I wanted us to focus more on ourselves than other people. And obviously we want other people to feel hope and feel encouraged, but I just didn't feel, I didn't realize I wasn't ready until that first time we did that. Sometimes I wonder if we, if I am still, but I appreciate, I think just the hope that maybe sharing the process and the story will hopefully help other people. It's really helping me just be accountable to process too. My personality tends to want to avoid pain. Like I can walk right through it. You can't just avoid it all the time, but I think I tend to want to stay on the happy side of things. And so I just want to keep living in the happy place. I don't, I just didn't realize how scary it was to go backwards, like look back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I want our listeners to, I think most of them probably understand this, but I want to make clear that one of the reasons why we're talking about this and even some of the mundane details, like obviously there's a lot of crazy things that happen through this season that we're reflecting on, but even the mundane details, because this, I've struggled with mental illness, depression, and that sort of thing since probably middle school, didn't know it at the time. But this is not like anything that I that you and I have ever gone through with my mental illness. This is like leaps and bounds. This is at a, a different whole playing field, different plane level. This is completely different. I, my my psychiatrist, who obviously helped during this whole process. I mean, he made it. Each time he talked about my major depressive disorder that I was going through, he felt like he needed to say, Your, yours is extremely major depressive disorder. And so this is just something that you and I have never gone through before, all through these 18 years of marriage. And I mean, I remember wallowing around in the closet, like literally physically wallowing around and telling you that I can't believe how bad this is. And I remember consciously processing that. Like, I can't believe it's possible to feel this sort of pain, like this sort of mental distress. And I mean, I remember the blood curdling screams that came out of my mouth for only my ears to hear when I was by myself. I remember sitting in waiting rooms sobbing between my legs, leaving the doctor with no relief. And my 
my mental condition, I mean, it affected everything. And that's one thing that I, we're definitely going to spend some time talking about is it, 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 it affected even my spiritual processing, mm-hmm. which to me is kind of like always the most important sort of processing. So it really jacked that up a lot. I wrote this in the hospital. Hopeless. No way out. No blue skies in my world. The only open doors are to thoughts that keep me imprisoned. My dearest, namely my kids, only represent darker skies that prevent me from seeing them and from being their dad. Suicide isn't an option because of them, and yet my existence in their world is no better than if I were to pull the trigger. My soulmate, the one that time has connected us in unspeakable ways, can no longer give me comfort despite the fullness of love she has in her heart for me. I am mentally an orphan. There's no one that can touch the depths, break the walls that I've built, and show me a way out. I think God hears me, but I only receive a still, small quiet in return. I'm truly alone despite the multitudes who would take a bullet for me being right by my side. My mind is my enemy that no one can rescue me from, and God seems to be choosing not to. But yeah, I mean, so let's, you mentioned as far as some of the reasons that you want to share or why we are sharing and I agree with you that there's a lot of people that struggle in this way, and we we just want them to feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me personally, it's like the one thing that I do that is met with the most appreciation is just simply talking about my mental illness. Like it mm-hmm. by far, <clears throat> when I mention something at church in front of people, when I mention something on podcasts, it by far is what people appreciate, or at least it's the thing that causes people to feel like I need to reach out to him and tell him how much I appreciate him opening up about that mm-hmm. because people just aren't used to it. Yeah, I will say um, when I was on a journey trying to find the right help and um, whatever and just some of the support we had from friends that have always been maybe a part of our life, but maybe I hadn't talked to them in a while, but I mean, it's sort of amazing. The people that come out of the woodwork that you've always loved, but they're so there. And I mean, I'm, I'm so, sometimes I'm a little ADD in my thought, but like what that reminds me of is just how sometimes we can't, help every single thing and every single cause and every single whatever. I do think that God calls us to certain things that we're passionate about that he wires us up for. And I think that's why some certain people kind of rose to the occasion because maybe they had their own experience. They had a kid that had an experience or, I mean, people, there's just people in our life that I didn't realize were diagnosed bipolar, diagnosed whatever, and are leading very successful, very healthy lives with proper help, medication, therapy. And, you know, they choose to keep that more private because of how 
people will maybe judge them or stigmatize or whatever. And so I feel like, I feel kind of like a whole new world opened up. I feel, I feel like, I mean, you and I both have always been honest about depression, but I mean, when you were struggling with the anxiety that I saw and just the severe suffering that I saw, when I used to feel sad about feeling a little lonely when you were going through times of depression, I literally was like, that is child's play compared to this. I would have taken that at any moment compared to what we were going through at that time. And I'm not saying feeling lonely when you're maybe more withdrawn, like feel like in the past your struggle with depression could settle in on you for months, but you could still work. You could still do things. It's just like at the end of the day, you were spent like you were getting through the day so you could go to sleep where what we were experiencing this last year was an inability to sleep, this torturous inability to where your body is so tired but it won't let you sleep for months. And so, I mean, it was just, it was just like a form of torture. I remember laying next to you and I would try to go to sleep, but I was so heightened of your every move. And I would just lay there praying so hard, like, please God, give Joey an ability to sleep tonight. Cause I mean, you and I both knew that when you started sleeping, medication would start to work better. And then everything will start to take root a little bit because your body's getting rest. Your mind and your body was getting rest. And it was just like, yeah, that, that you was couldn't get my, it. Right. And that was my psychiatrist's priority at that point. He said, we've got to get you sleeping because if you're not sleeping, then everything else is the, the impact is not going to be as great. Like yeah. the, the medicine working and all of that. And so, I mean, we, we, we did probably try at least three, maybe four different medications until we got to something strong enough to yeah. knock me out. And then when you mentioned like you being in the doctor's office with your head between your knees and then just leaving with no relief, like I, I oh, you say that and it gives me the chills because I just remember how hard it was to even get you in for an appointment to anywhere. And so let's say we had to wait three weeks watching you suffer that badly for three weeks and you go to an appointment. It's so hard not to put so much hope into an appointment, hoping you'd walk away feeling better. And you didn't. I mean, it just takes time. It just takes time and then takes time to figure out what's going to work. And oh my gosh, just the waiting and the suffering and the waiting and the suffering and the waiting and the suffering was kind of felt unbearable. Yeah, it's weird. I was thinking about this earlier in the week when we were talking about having these conversations this week. And there are people like on social media, and, I, and I'm not saying this in a negative way at all, but like in their Twitter profile, they say something like mental health survivor. Yeah. Um, in, impaired by depression. Like, and it's weird because I don't feel like I'm embarrassed or feel the need to keep this part of me hidden. But at the same time, I don't have any desire to put something like that on my Twitter profile just because that's that's not all of me. Like that's that's not what I want to be defined by. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just a depressed person. Yeah. But but it's but it's weird because maybe that is helpful 
to really put yourself out there because that is a big part of my life. You put yourself out there on social media. Yeah, I'm just saying as as like a here's who I am sort of thing. Like I I don't. You're talking more like this was my experience. Right. It's not just all who I am. Right. I had someone who I have become friends with a little bit. He reached out to, I I knew that he struggles with mental illness and I think I reached out to him just to check in on him. And when he responded, he basically was just like, Hey, I am in a very, very low place. And my heart just sunk. I was moved to tears. Like it, it really, it really broke my heart because I, he seeing his text and actually reflecting on just how painful I think what he is going through is from my experience, like it, it just impacted me. And I think what you said too is just like we can, as, as humans, I think some of us are wired up to be super passionate about this or really geared up to make a, a huge impact in stopping human trafficking or making sure homelessness is decreased in their city and all of that. And this just happens to be something that I feel, I feel almost a responsibility to steward what we've gone through. Yeah. I, I mean, just thinking through the experience of when you checked yourself into the hospital and when I found out I was at work and I know this sounds really weird. <sighs> I remember being at work and I, w- I just kept working, but I couldn't stop thinking about you being there. You didn't ask me to come, but I just, like, it seems like I'd immediately go, well, I'll, I'll be right there. But I didn't. I, I was working for a while. So I texted you, I think, and said, I'm going to the hospital. To yes. Myself in. Yeah. And so, I mean, first of all, it wasn't alarming because I personally felt that that's probably where you needed to go but it took you a while to get to a place where you were like, okay, that's where I need to go. Cause you were trying, um, and this ref- is September of last year. Yeah. So you were trying, what is it called? Uh, reflections. I don't what think it's it called, called reflection, but it was an outpatient. Yeah. It's gosh, that's weird that I can't think of it now. It's MUSC's outpatient. So there's inpatient, there's outpatient, and then there's residency programs that are super expensive. And then, you know, you can go to a therapist or a psychiatrist. Those are like sort of basically your options. And oh, it just feels like such a wide gap between outpatient and inpatient even, like what both of those feel like. And revisions, that's what it's revisions. called. <laughs> it's called revisions. It's called revisions. Well, the reason I want to mention that is everybody, I mean, so many people told me, how beneficial revisions was. And I kept trying to get you to do it. So you finally, you finally went. And first of all, you're kind of on a wait list. You can't just go the very next day. That's what's so frustrating too. When you're suffering that badly, it seems like if you're cut open, you're bleeding and you need stitches, you go to the ER and you might have to wait a few hours if it's real bad weight, but you're still going to get help that day with like mental health crisis. It's like you have it, and you just can't even get, you still have to wait and suffer that long. And it, that's what was so maddening to me. It's where I feel like, oh gosh, once I feel like probably, obviously we're in a healthier place, but for me, I still feel like I'm recovering. I would like to just 
make a difference there with the kind of waiting people go through or the kind of like not knowing what to do scenario. I'd love to help people understand the process. You know, it just seemed like all the people that we have in our life and people that are even health professionals, I just still felt like I just needed someone to give me the steps. Like here's step one, here's step two, then do this. Like, I feel like I could help somebody with that, but each person's journey is a little different too. And then it needs to be the person's willingness to go. His, I don't know if it was his eyes or his body language, but he was in a different plane. He was operating in a different plane than we were. While Joey was more isolated, I was worried and wanted to keep his world a little bigger. So I asked Ted and Ryan if they'd go out and take Joey out to eat or just drive him around or go just go see him and they were game and I was relieved thinking this is gonna be good for him but it actually did not go over as well as I thought it would you know what I mean like he was we were we were taking in more of like a physical understanding of the world around us and I felt like he was kind of oblivious to the to the physical world to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds dramatic, but like he was operating in Everything's his head. Everything's going to sound dramatic because it kind of was. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's a good way um, to but like, describe it. Like we, we, were, we were well rooted in the material world and he was just sort of floating through the material world. Mm-hmm. Was this new territory for you? I know you're with obvious, you uh, or anybody. With anybody. I know that your wife has struggled with with this sort of thing and I know no. you've had friends but like the extent of what yeah, I was I've never thinking. seen anything like, I've never been up close and personal to anybody like that that I knew well enough to have known the difference does yeah. that make sense yeah so like with anybody else that I've been close to that's dealt with I would say severe depression at times uh, they were still checked into reality they mm-hmm. were just in a really dark place and that was the difference with you is you were not, you know what I'm saying? Like what we we're just talking about a second ago, like you didn't feel like you were based in reality at that moment. You felt like you were, it, it almost felt like you were watching the scene from a distance. Yeah. If that makes sense. So we come and pick you up at your mom and dad's house. Yeah. This is what I have no perspective on what you're And me about. and Ted are riding over there and, uh, you know, we're like kind of, sort of getting our game face on because we know that you're going to be bad. But then when we pick you up, there's like the first thing I remembered was there was like none of the like, um, niceties, the, uh, mm-hmm. social, uh, conventions, you know, like, Hey, what's up? You know, whatever. For me? Yeah. Yeah. There was just none of that. It was like, it was almost like they were handing off their pet to us or something. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, not, I had an interaction with your parents nice but you were just kind of like walking out of the house and like going to go get in the car with us. You know what I mean? And we got in the car. I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. And I assume, am I, am I remembering it right? That you'd lost a bunch of weight Oh yeah. by that point. Oh yeah. And like, I don't think I'd seen you much in the weeks leading up to that. I don't know how long it had been, but it had, it hadn't been a few days. It had been like a few weeks since I'd, we'd actually been in the same room. Yeah. And I remember you look sick physically and he looked you just like he had looked cancer. Weak. Huh? He looks like he had cancer. Yeah. 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 You exact. That's exactly it. Like you so looked like somebody like that may have been lost in, to you either. Like you thought it looked sickly. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It looked very, like, ill. I'm hearing that for the first time. But, um, but anyway, and, and, and I think you were just kind of moving pretty lethargic, too. Yeah. So well, that was, probably wasn't helping things. I was undernourished. Were like, you drugged up at the time, too? or No, at that time, I had not. I was not on any sort of anti-anxiety medication. That would have been the only thing that would have drugged me up. So I really do think that it was just complete. You were on, you were on, um, what is it that I felt like it seemed to mess you up a little bit, but it was supposed to be for anxiety. Yeah. But that was, that was in the summer. That was not in the second half. Like I had gotten off of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So zombie Joey, zombie Joey comes out, gets in the car, we're like trying, I'm, I am I knew better, even in the moment, I knew that it wasn't going to work, but you know, like I'm not real comfortable with awkward silences and stuff. <laughs> so like, I'm tr- probably trying to like make jokes or just like be cool about the situation. You know what I mean? Like, be Hey, cool. you're not acting like a complete weirdo. <laughs> and, uh, and so we go to this new barbecue place and we sit down and it just felt like you were preoccupied. You know what I mean? Um, you were you were restless and kind of grumpy and preoccupied. And we would try to talk. So I think we started out probably me and Ted talking to Ted one talk. another. <laughs> you know, like just talking in front of you yeah. to give you something to like probably to fill the space or to give you something to just listen to. And then occasionally, uh, you know, I'm sure we would ask you something here or there, but... And then at some point you wanted to move inside. I don't know why. Oh, we were outside at first. We were outside at first. And then like, <laughs> for some reason you got kind of restlessy and were like, didn't like what was, you just were uncomfortable with where we were. And so we were like, okay, we'll just go inside and we'll just try it inside. Maybe it was like too loud out there or something maybe. Yeah. Or too hot or something. But anyway, so we we're like, yeah, that's cool. We'll go inside. So we go inside, we order our food and I'm pretty sure before we got our food, yeah, I know it was before we got our food. We're chatting, and I we got you talking just a little bit, and for some reason, I felt like it was, I don't know why I did it. In retrospect, I regret it, but I was just trying to make conversation, and I, or do y'all use your kids' names on here? Yeah, yeah, you okay. can, unless, and, unless it's something that could be embarrassing for them. All right, Which but anyway, I was I was with. telling you, Jared can bleep it out. I was telling you that um, I had seen Rosa a week or so before that. You saw her at Whole Foods. Yeah, I saw her at Whole Foods, mm-hmm. uh, and she's she's close at the time, close to being a teenager. Or no, she had probably already yeah. turned thirteen. Oh, I don't know. They all well, I'm just right. saying that just for reference. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so she's teenager, but you know she's nice enough to say hi to me. But it's awkward, and we're just like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, it's not awkward. It's awkward for her. Everything's awkward for her uh, right now. Maybe. Um, but anyway, and I said something to her, and so I'm basically recounting the story to you exactly like I'm telling it right here, and I tell. Uh, Rosa something about like hey I'm sorry y'all are going through a tough time and she's like yeah yeah and then I was, said something to the effect of like and I'm telling you like depression is just it's, it's dark you know like mm-hmm. it, there's just times that it's like this and you just kind of got to like put your head down and just kind of try to wait it out you know um, I was trying to be empathetic towards her mm-hmm. but Anyway, and as I'm telling Joey 
this story and he hears the word depression come out of my mouth, like his face goes from being like zombie to just like melting. And Mm -hmm. uh, he started immediately crying in the middle of the restaurant, like sobbing in the middle of the restaurant. And um, was it noticeable to other people? Very much so. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, like, not. See, I would have guessed, where, no, I no, guessed no, no, tears like, welling up and maybe. No, 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 like, the whole restaurant's not staring <laughs> at us. But I'm sure that any table that was directly adjacent to us, if they mm-hmm. weren't, you know, heavily in conversation, they would have noticed. And I think I just didn't care. Honestly, that's why I don't remember. Because there's I was no just... caring. That's what I'm saying. Like, you were on such a different plane that there was no caring or not caring. Like, you couldn't modify your behavior, you couldn't engineer your behavior at the time. So, normally, if I had told you something. Like, so first of all, I didn't realize that the D word was a hot button in your family. And at that point you told me, it became clear that y'all had never really used that word around her. Priscilla may have at the time. I I I, just wasn't knowledgeable if she had. I was trying to, I don't know, treat, I was trying to treat you with dignity and give you time to be okay with them with that word being more commonly used, but the reason like, obviously he's open about it. He wrote a book about it, talks about it all the time. That's why it never occurred. Right. Of course it wouldn't occur to you, but when he's in the middle of what he was going through, his, his biggest fear is passing this down to his kids. Yeah, of course. And so the whole, like, like, my kids and my depression, you put those two things together and it is the scariest thing you could possibly drop on them. So I think that's why. And it, if I had thought, if I had had the foresight, I would have told you just be sure to not, but I, I don't even think I knew you ran into Rosa. Yeah. And in fact, I think Rosa told me she ran into you and I think she thought it was, I mean, I know you say it's all awkward or whatever, but you're an important person to our family. So she thought it was great that she saw you. So to you, you probably thought, oh, she acted awkward around me. But to her, she's like, I saw Mr. Ryan. Like, he said I just hi feel to like, me. Yeah, I feel like I have he a saw tendency me to and make he said those hi to me, kind of know? interactions awkward. Because like, I'm trying to be cool and not be like <laughs> the old dude that's talking to her. And, her friend, you <laughs> no. know? and, and I, as y'all were talking, I was kind of gaining a better memory of this. You were doing the silent sob. Um, when I said it was real obvious, like it was obvious visually, but you weren't being real loud Aww. or anything. And it sounds like I'm making fun of you and I realized that I was, but it's, it wasn't funny at all. It was. It must have been really awkward for you too. It like, was awkward, but it was more, but it wasn't, we weren't even thinking about that. I was just thinking like, holy shit, like I just stepped on a landmine and I had no idea it was mm-hmm. there. So I remember going like, wondering what kind of what I'd said wrong for a second and wanting to get it back. And then I, I'm sure I apologize to you. And then, so normally Joey would, even if Joey, even if you were upset, you would have like maybe freaked out in your head, but on the outside you would have said like, no dude, it's totally cool. Whatever, you know? And you kind of tried to do that version of what you were capable of at that moment. But it, I remember you used the word devastated I was like, dude, I'm really sorry. I did not mean, I didn't know that was a thing. And you said, like, real, um, you spoke in, like, a really metered tone because it was like you were trying to fight back the tears and not freak out. And you said, listen, I am not mad at you 
but I feel devastated right now. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And then you just like broke down. Sobbing. And everything was over. And, and then, yeah. And, and our, that the experiment was over and we kind of signaled to the waiter to like come over and get our, we got our food to go and we basically hit the road. Um, yeah, that was, it was the shortest date I've ever been on. It was, <laughs> we were there all of like eight minutes, but I don't know. Like, what do you think? Do you think that, that do you think it had any value whatsoever other than, other than giving us a snapshot of exactly how ridiculously dramatic it was? That that might have been the only reason. And, and obviously, I mean, you like know, it didn't, it didn't have any I'm of the desired effects. I'm just devastated right now. <laughs> but basically, because of what you said, it was a, a, a net negative. Yeah. Like that was a bad night. Yeah. That was detrimental. That was bad. Another thing that we want to talk about through these episodes is the stigmatization of mental illness. And I'd say that, I mean, you, you tell me if you disagree, but we experience some of the stigmatization, stigmatizing, I don't know what the best way of saying it, personally, but for the most part, I feel like our 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 friends and family that rallied behind us had a decent handle on the reality of this sort of thing. That's how I feel. But one thing that you and I encountered a lot of, and it's so innocent and outside of maybe one situation, it didn't even bother me, but it's like the, the spiritual stigmatizing of mental illness in a very unique way that the church does. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I want to just say right now, mental illness and when people go through stuff that I went through it just may not have anything to do with demons yeah. <laughs> like there may be a chance that there are no demons involved at all <laughs> like I'm I it depends I just, on how you look at I guess demons because I used to get offended by that I used to be like okay if you end up fighting cancer do you think you have demons all over your body and your cells demons got in your cells. Like I would, I was assuming that people would not call that a demon. They would just be like, I have cancer and sickness. This is unfortunate. And you get a but bad all report of a sudden, from the doctor. They say it's spreading. The demons are spreading. But here's the thing. Maybe some people like anything that is wreaking negative havoc on your life. Maybe that is in the category of demon. So that's just not my word speak. Like that's not how I talk because to me that feels a little bit fear mongering, like, Oh gosh, the enemy is trying to just seek and destroy me. And so to me, it kind of gives a visual of you're always looking over your shoulder and you're always having to put, you know, throw something over your shoulder or place certain things around your house to make sure you have anointing oil all over. So you're all protected. And to me, I'm just like, God is everywhere and has us. And he never said there isn't suffering in this world, but I think for some people that pray that way and believe that way, 
I don't think they're trying to be fear mongering. I think that's just, it's just sort of how they see like good versus evil. And when they see someone they love that much suffering so badly, that's how they're going to pray. Yeah. And so and I'll take the prayer regardless feel, of, uh, Oh of yeah. Their... So when you would go through different types of depression that were more like withdrawal, like where you slept a lot instead of not being able to sleep. I'm just saying when you sleep a lot with depression, that does suck. That has been a suffering part of our life. But when you're not able to sleep because it's just so bad, that is like a whole nother level worse. But I would say when we've gone through other different episodes of depression and people praying like that, it, it would kind of offend me and annoy me. I'm just like, but when we were in this sort of suffering, I felt like people that were standing with us in prayer and hope, however you prayed, however you did, I felt like our hearts were connected and maybe we don't pray exactly the same way, or I don't think about the devil as much as you do or whatever, but we both believe in the power of prayer. I mean, I appreciated it. I appreciated you standing with me in your time and your energy and your heart and your belief um, for wanting better for you and praying and spending all that time and all that energy standing with us. I don't know. I feel a little less negative about now. I do think standing up on a stage and talking about how it's, it's a demon in you or whatever, like you just have to be careful, especially if you've never experienced that, because that, that is actually a very shaming thing. And that makes people shrink and embarrassed and not reach out for help. And so I don't know if anyone's listening right now and they teach on mental illness and have never experienced, please do not teach like that. Right. It does, it does harm or teach about how, yeah, there's mental illness, but guess what? We're off medication now and it's a miracle. And then like, that's the only way you ever teach about mental illness. That's very shameful. There are people that have tried that like us and it almost took you away forever. Like that's a very dangerous way to teach sometimes. I mean, God is amazing, can do miracles, but every person that has to do medication for severe depression wishes they didn't have to take the medication. I don't know one person with depression that's medicated that just, you know, wishes everyone could be on medication. It is always your desire to be off and it's really, really hard to do it because there's side effects, but you take those because you don't want to be in the place that you were in. And so I just, just be careful. Like, please don't talk like it's just so easy and all you have to do is trust harder. I just. Right. But you and I, we we don't want to, like, this isn't about fighting against people in any way. No. It's fighting against the lack of understanding and fighting against the stigmatization. And I think that also it could be easily overlooked as far as a reason to share this. One of my favorite teachers, spiritual reflector, whatever, Richard Rohr says that the two, the two things that causes change in our hearts, that causes growth, causes us to move from point A to point B, the two the two factors in life that that changes us and grows us is experiencing love mm-hmm. and experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this season 
we experienced both of those to the most to the highest degree that you could ever experience. And so you and I feel that in different ways, because you weren't the one suffering with the physical aspect of it, although it, it did cause some physical struggling for you, but you and I were struggling in different ways, but we both feel that we're marked forever by this. It was an actual crisis that we went through for months and we feel like we have a new shot at life. It's like the reset button has been pressed. And I mean, there are definitely times when I look at my kids playing out in the yard and I think to myself, I'm, I'm glad that I'm here to enjoy this. And I feel like I'm seeing the world through new lenses. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that now life is just so easy and great because we're in this place of recovery and I feel like, I don't know, this is, this is the impatience in me. I am impatient. Like I feel like once you overcome, I want to hit the ground running. And once you were in a better place, I really wanted to hit the ground running and it just could, we just couldn't like, it's like when you're in rehab, like if you, if you have physical therapy, like you broke your leg or something or whatever, whatever surgery it is that you need to recover a muscle or recover a something so you can walk again. And then you have to be able to walk before you can jog, before you can run, before you can jump, before you, that's how it feels. Like you can't just recover. And then we start hosting tons of people at our house again and just doing all the things and running the schedule we have, which also I think when your life is turned upside down, a lot of things get shaken out that need to be shaken out that maybe you wouldn't have ever shaken out had you not gone through something like that. It reveals the toxic. It reveals the things that don't need to be part of our life anymore. It reveals the choices we're making on how we run our schedule and what we prioritize. And when you get put upside up again, I I feel like I want to be much slower in how we add to our schedule and how what we add to our life instead of just saying yes to everything. I would say I like this about you and me, but it can sometimes, you know, it's not to our benefit is I feel like we're both kind of yes people. Sometimes you're no, you, you want to say no before yes with some things, but when it comes to taking on things in a ministry sense, I feel like we usually... I don't know if it's because we should on ourselves or because we just want to say yes, because we see it as a positive thing, like tons and tons of positive things are not always positive. you just say you don't know if we should on ourselves? Should. Oh. (laughs) You know that. I don't know. So I still feel like we're learning how to be healthy. It's taking a while. Um, That's why I think you and I pausing and sitting and having these kind of discussions with some questions in front of us reminds us of why we're going slower. So it was kind of hard to go slow when the whole world still felt like they were going fast. Felt like we just wanted to go back to what we could always do. But honestly, when we look back, we don't want to go back to where we were. We want to be in a different place. And then the world pandemic hits and that's stressful for everyone. Doesn't mean it's not stressful for us. It's a different kind of stress because we're all going through it together in some way instead of you and I going through something that feels different.
In sharing our story, we hope that we can contribute just a little bit, even if it's a drop in the bucket of the huge endeavor of destigmatizing mental illness, just providing some insight in general. We also desire that these conversations will possibly provide some hope for others who suffer in similar ways, as well as offer hope to family and friends of people who suffer with mental illness. Over the course of many episodes, we'll be sharing our story, and it will expand through the lenses of many family and friends who are with us up close and personally suffering alongside us. The next episode that we release will have my dad and he'll share his perspective as he was potentially one that was the most up close and personal throughout this season. Thank you guys for listening, and may we all keep hope alive. Let